Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. It's great to be back in the news saddle after a couple of weeks of the MRC cruise and its associated jet lag. My thanks to my colleagues Curtis Hauk, Nick Night Train Fondacaro, and band Bill D'Agostino for filling in while I was away. Well, I'll have more on the MRC cruise experience later in the show. Uh, the hot breaking story today that we'll be covering was the discovery of a small amount of cocaine in the White House. Um, this is something we should note that is getting some coverage. Uh, on the big nets, Curtis Hauk noticed it drew about six minutes combined this morning on ABC, CBS, and NBC. So we'll be on that this week. Obviously, the first suggestion is Hunter Biden was in the White House. There was cocaine in the White House. Can we do the dot to dot? Well, first of all, these networks don't want to use the words Hunter Biden next to cocaine. But that's what the world is thinking. We can all make the obvious point that if they had found cocaine in the White House under Trump, there would not be six minutes this morning. There would probably be 36. (laughs) Maybe I'm caricaturing it, but maybe not by much. I mean, these people thought it was a scale that Ivanka Trump was selling perfume. All right, so our main topic today, national public radio on monday the 3rd of july morning edition aired the latest npr interview with vice president kamala harris now right before christmas last year i wrote up that correspondent asma khalid conducted a puffball interview with kamala or as we called her at the time asma coddle in that interview Harris unspooled answers that went on and on and on. NPR asked, what happens to the promise to codify Roe versus Wade? The answer went on for 449 uninterrupted words, 2 minutes and 51 seconds. This is how you know that NPR is a taxpayer-funded forum for Democrats. Somebody interviews Donald Trump or, uh, or Mike Pence, they're going to get about 15 seconds of answer out before there's probably going to be an interruption and an angry one at that. Oh, but it got even worse when Khalid had to ask Kamala the oh, you poor dear question about the challenges of being vice president. This feels like a tough job, she said. I mean, you are someone's number two by definition. Do you feel like you found your own lane? And I'm curious what the toughest aspect for you has been these last couple of years. That is apparently a question. And the answer was a gassy 558 words. It went on for three and a half minutes. Was there anything in there worth remembering? No. What's worth remembering is Kamala has NPR at hello. So here we are again in 2023, and again, it's another woman of color, Michelle Martin, 
gently facilitating the veep with maybe a little pressure from the leftist viewpoint of the everyday NPR listeners. The occasion for this interview was the Essence Festival in New Orleans. They actually sent her down to New Orleans for this interview. They couldn't do an interview in Washington. Now, Essence Magazine is a black liberal magazine for women. So here you got everybody lined up. Black woman uh, interviewer, black woman vice president, and of course, on the actual event at the Essence Festival, it was another black woman being the moderator. It was a moderated discussion with black finance executive Thesunda Brown Duckett. This is an actual transcript of Duckett versus Harris. There was no versus. Duckett, you sure are special. Harris laughs in parentheses. You are too. Duckett, and so is everyone here. Harris, everybody here is special. More laughs by Kamala. Duckett, we are special. Applause. I mean, (laughs) what is this? You're special. So are you. Aren't we all? We are all special. Well, I'm glad we've all affirmed each other. This is like the Stuart Smalley segment of the moderated discussion. And people like me. No, actually, if you look at Kamala's polls, no, they don't. So the interview on NPR begins once again with the open-ended softball. What does this event mean to you? Madam Vice President, thank you so much for uh, inviting us to speak with you here at thank Essence you, Fest. Michelle. It's good to be with you. Thank you. It seemed like you were having a good time. Yeah. I. Um, what, what does an event like this mean to you or, or do for you? It, well, it's very uplifting, and it's a convening. It's coming together under one roof um, for a variety of reasons that are about fellowship, about sisterhood, about um, having joyful moments, having reflective moments. Oh, it seemed like you were having a good time, Miss Kamala. Look, for us, there is no joyful or reflective moment. The conservative listener is just trying to follow along with the pablum NPR is dishing out here. It's like really gluey breakfast oatmeal. Now, we'll admit there is such a thing as a soft opening question, but usually then the tougher ones follow. But Democrats tend to get all soft, gluey oatmeal questions. Now, I remember Michelle Martin when she was at ABC News many years ago narrating a nasty character assassination of Clarence Thomas. Kamala Harris, hero. Clarence Thomas, Darth Vader. Yes, this was a prime time sort of hour back when Jill Abramson and Jane Mayer did this book-length hit piece on Justice Thomas called Strange Justice. In this new case, Martin, just like Asma Khalid, is going to hone in on abortion, which is one of Kamala's pet issues. It's something that the White House has assigned her. Not that Kamala Harris has ever been pregnant or had a child. She had grown stepchildren by the time she finally got married. But she has no real experience with parenthood. We're not going to actually bring that up when we do a softball interview with Kamala Harris. Now, we would love to hear someone say, 
Gee, Kamala, you know, because blacks abort at higher rates, do blacks really get to rail about how black lives matter? No one expects a question like that, especially on national public radio. There is zero chance of a question that's an actual hardball or even just a question that's the mildest bit challenging. So in this case, Michelle Martin wants to offer Kamala the opportunity to tell horror stories about what life is like without death in post-Dobbs America. We'll be told about miscarriages on toilets and people denied care at the ER. Oh, it's so rude that people are being suggested, let's carry the babies longer, maybe to term. Do you see a through line of all the decisions that have recently come from the Supreme Court? I, they, there is a bit of a through line, indeed, uh, which is that there, it is about an attack on foundational freedoms and on the access to opportunity. A lot of your meetings with people have been in the context of the Dobbs decision, and a lot of them have been focused around the issue of reproductive rights. Has there been a story that's really touched you or stood out to you over the course of the year that you've been traveling and having meetings about this? You know, the challenge on this subject is that the stories are so difficult to imagine and speak about and for people to hear. People don't want to hear these stories because they don't want to think about these things. But the stories are women having miscarriages in toilets. The stories are women who are in the process of a miscarriage who are being denied care at an emergency room and going back to the emergency room and being denied again and only the third time when she has sepsis being given care. Now, no one will fact check these stories about horror stories about being denied at the emergency room. We all know the liberal reporters are looking for those, and they may be found one. But, you know, if you have a story like that, say, about an illegal alien who massacres people, that's an anecdote. That's not a story. That's not a narrative. This is the narrative they want to let Kamala unspool, that somehow this is, as Kamala calls it, a horrendous story of being denied care. We just hate the phrase abortion care. There's nothing caring about an abortion, at least not from the baby's perspective. But to these people, a late-term abortion is never a horrendous story. Kamala can call abortion a foundational freedom and see absolutely no right to life for an unborn child. The liberals can't see. There is a philosophical point here on whose rights are being curtailed. Someone's rights are being curtailed. Either the baby or the so-called pregnant person. But from the left and these networks, there's only pressure for more abortions and, and more taxpayer money for abortions and more taxpayer money for Planned Parenthood, which they can then channel into Democratic Party treasuries. All right, now I'm getting a little broad. But Kamala Harris can sit there and talk about the protections of Roe versus Wade, but they can't have the nuance to say someone here is getting protected and someone is being totally destroyed. Why can't we have the nuance? 
Why can't we acknowledge that abortion isn't just a glorious choice? Why can't we acknowledge that perhaps abortion is a social problem? It suggests someone is not behaving properly. You can you can never judge a pregnant person getting an abortion. So then Michelle Martin goes into how much Biden can go around Congress and impose its will now that Republicans uh, you know, are ruling the House. Now, under Trump, this would be described as destroying democratic norms, or they would call it the authoritarian playbook. But when the left is denied what it wants to impose, it can apparently do anything in the executive branch to do the right thing, to land on the right side of history. It's all about trying to get the right action imposed. So Martin complains, given the range of action possible for the administration is fairly narrow in this area. And then she mentions the student loan debt issue. They've laid out the steps that the administration's prepared to take, but the range of things you can do is fairly narrow. Given all that, what's your message? Yeah, see the hardball in there? What's your message? That could just be all five or six questions that she seems to be asking here. What's your message? So Kamala's answer went on for two minutes and 15 seconds. And she talked about the student debt. Oh, sounds like they're going to have to pay it back. How rude. And then she talked about the abortions, those wonderful abortions. And then she tried to talk reality to the people that listen to NPR about elections. Hey, we have three branches of government. The court took rights from the people of America, she said. Congress can put those rights back in place. We cannot, through executive action, Congress can. So she said, we're reminding people of the power of their vote to elect people into the U.S. Congress who care about the importance of putting back in place the protections of Roe versus Wade. Now, obviously, liberal journalists here are going to try to ask them about packing the Supreme Court. Martin doesn't get that direct. But that's where the left is. Well, when we don't like the court as presently constituted, let's add another three or six judges and appoint a bunch of radical leftists, and then we win. So then they go back to the whole idea of, Kamala, what's your message? Have you established yourself? Listen to this. So your job in part is to tell people you need to vote for Democrats because Democrats will restore these rights, defend these rights, and will expand the range of options uh, that are available to people in, in policy. That's basically sort of the message. So here's my question. Well, no, but, but let me just say that it's because Democrats are the ones standing for these exactly. rights. I get <laughs> so it. I, I'm saying I, if, you Republicans want, if you are care about these rights, right. then these are the folks who are going to deliver them. The question I have for you, Madam Vice President, is is that enough for you for you as a sort of a political actor to establish yourself in the minds of the American people as a credible successor, if need be, to President Biden? Right now, we are focused on doing everything we can, and we will continue to focus on doing everything we can to deliver for the American people. So notice how soft this all is. 
Have you established yourself in the minds of the American people as a credible successor to Biden, if need be? What does that ignore? There's no question here about Biden's age and his capacity to serve until age 86. There's no acknowledgement that Biden has a bad approval rating and Kamala's is worse. There's no question about whether Biden has to run again because Kamala, everything she's done doesn't suggest a lot of gravitas, just a lot of cackles and word salads. This is all going to go unsaid. She's not going to be asked about the border. She's not going to be asked about the economy. She is going to be asked, what's your message? How did this Essence Fest go for you? So the taxpayers of America, the conservative taxpayers of America, send their money into Washington. It goes to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The CPB sends those monies to uh, individual NPR stations across America, which then pump it right back as programming fees. And in the whole thing, the conservatives get ripped and the liberals get coddled. And it's unfair. It's unjust. There are two sides of history, and the conservatives are one side, but they're not being uh, heard on NPR because guess what? The liberal listeners of NPR want to live in a bubble. They like their bubble. They get angry when anyone disturbs their bubble. These interviews with Kamala Harris hasn't disturbed anyone's bubble. So let's end with the whole idea. Let's give you back the uh, the line here. The MRC cruise. This time we we rode on a boat called the Celebrity Constellation. Uh, we started from in uh, Ravenna, Italy, just a couple hours south of Venice. We flew into Venice um, and had a nice set of stops in Croatia and Italy, starting in Zadar, Z-A-D-A-R, and Dubrovnik. It was fun. They're, they're, they're pretty towns in Croatia. They're, they're charming. They're enjoyable. We had a good time. Then to Naples. The wife and I went to Capri. It was nutty busy in these ports, and it, was even, it wasn't even July and August, which is apparently the really heavy season, but it was crowded. Then we wrapped up in Portofino and in Laspasia, and, and we got to see some of the towns of Cinque Terre. So we had a, a wonderful set of ports. We hopefully, to the, to the guests, had a wonderful set of panel discussions. I participated in some panel discussions. We talked about what was coming in the election coverage of 2024. We talked a bunch about how the news media cover the Bidens and try very hard not to cover the Bidens. Um, we had good fun. We have dinner with the guests there every night. Um, so we get, and, they, and the guests rotate around, so we get a new crew around the table every night. Mrs. Graham and I got to meet a whole bunch of people. Glorious folks from coast to coast, from California to uh, Florida and so on. Um, it, so it's always a good time. We are uh, going on our next cruise as a Caribbean cruise uh, in November of 2024 after the election. And Brent Bozell was joking, either we're going to have a raucous party that we won or we're going to have a raucous drinking episode if we lose. 
Um, but it is, it is a good time. Um, and we certainly encourage you to come join us on the MRC cruise. We do have a good time. Um, and, uh, you know, the only thing I can say, the only downside I can find is we're, we're going out on Tuesday, June 20th. And of course the Hunter plea deal comes out and like, I'm, I have to leave. I have to go to the airport and it's like, oh, stuff is going to happen. And I can't, I can't do much about it because I'm on a plane. So that, that kind of stinks. So, uh, there's a little bit of catching up. We stayed up with the news, but there's still a little bit of catching up to say, what, what is going on with this Hunter Biden? We'll have a lot to say about this in the months to come. Uh, but, you know, it is amazing to me that the David Weiss, the U.S. attorney in Delaware, you, I, I noticed this right before I left, the networks have barely ever mentioned this guy's name. You know, I had to be reminded, Curtis had to remind me, we were talking about Jack Smith, the special counsel about Trump and his documents. There's a special counsel for Biden on classified documents. His name is Robert Herr. Most people have no idea he's actually investigating anything. So this is the thing that we'll, we'll try to cover as we go along because reporters now love to describe Donald Trump as the twice impeached and twice indicted president. That's why they impeach and they indict, so they can use those against him. And yet, it weirdly seems to just help him, because guess what? Republicans hate the media. Well, if you want to know what this despicable media is up to, we are your minions. No, <laughs> we're not the minions. They're the bad guys. But we are the people who will uh, bring to you what is going on with these liberal media outlets here at Newsbusters. you got to come. you got to read us once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.